This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week we'll take a look at a hodgepodge of men's basketball items, another tough week in the downslide for the baseball team, and where the newest Panther pros landed. We'll also address listener questions. But first, we have hashtag more, all caps more, basketball to discuss. A little bit of uh, news from the school. Uh, Juwan Odom and Brendan Tucker officially being announced as transferring to Georgia State by the school. And Marquavius Brown committing for the 2023 recruiting class. And then, of course, head coach Jonas Hayes appearing on the Panther Insider podcast with Dave Cohen. Lots of good stuff there. You should take a listen if you haven't already. But, gentlemen, got a little bit of basketball to discuss. Got any thoughts on this stuff? Well, first off, welcome to the 100 Club to the Panther Insider podcast. And yeah, I, I'm jealous of the way they were able to line up the perfect guest for the 100th episode. Just sometimes life helps you out in that way and it just it works out like that. And so it definitely would plug that uh, that podcast as well if you haven't listened to it yet back at home. Uh, but, you know, I got to say, you know, we don't really talk about the recruiting process so much until guys really sign. That's why, you know, we singled out that Odom and Tucker are officially here. And a couple episodes back, we talked a little bit more in depth about our thoughts on them. So if you want to go get those thoughts, we'll have Jordan put that, that podcast link in the description, maybe for this podcast. But I wanted to talk about the commitment of Marquavius Brown, even though he's not going to, play until 2023 you know he's the next signing year's class he can sign in november of this year but he won't play until next year just because you know if you look at 247 sports he's the best all-time commit georgia state's gotten and you know we'll see what happens if georgia stateification happens and he's 93 uh ranking turns into like a 90 because he trend he committed to georgia state and wasn't at georgia anymore but i just wanted to talk about it at this point i'm still kind of digging into who he is it's player and getting mad as far as what he's going to contribute when he gets here but just the actual commitment itself like we've talked about the plan is for Jonas to get these Dewan Odom Brendan Tuckers to come back home after going to someone else going out out of state for school to start going to some other programs but if already before he's even coached a game he's getting a high school commit from Georgia a top 10 Georgia recruit the best that the school has ever landed before even coaching a game, he's starting to already get that happening. I mean, not to put too much pressure on him before he even gets out on the court in the convocation center, but like that timeline might be moving up faster than we were ready for. It absolutely is. Like that is the caliber of prospect that, you know, people have been clamoring for Georgia state to try to reach for. And so the fact that there's a commit of such a stature from the state of Georgia that is, you know, here in has, who has committed to Georgia state. Like that's, that's incredible. That's exactly what you want. And that's exactly the type of direction that, you know, this school and this program needs to be reaching for, you know, we don't know that he's going to play yet. Obviously there's a long time between now, now and you know his projected first season but that's incredible like it's honestly more impressive that coach Hayes has gotten this done before he's even coached a single game at Georgia State like that I mean yes obviously you know coaches are always recruiting and you know they're always out there on the trail and you know and putting up those phony said, tweets there had to there was a relationship before with this 
with Brown between him and Hayes. Like that, obviously there had to have been because it happened pretty fast. You know, it's not like he just like, Hey, I'm Jonas a couple weeks ago and guy decided to commit to Georgia state. Obviously there was a familiarity there between the two of them. Right. Exactly. You know? And so it's very clear that Hayes has a good relationship network with some guys that he's spoken to. So, you know, I'm excited to see kind of where the direction of Georgia state basketball recruiting continues to go from here. And like, as we sit here right now, he just committed and there's no reason to think that he wouldn't sign in November when he's able to, but you know, almost removing him specifically from the equation for a second, like even if October comes and someone decided to come ask him to sign and he decommitted and signed somewhere else, it almost is irrelevant to the fact that I think that we can say there, another one will be coming like him doing it now suggests that no matter what, he's going to have the recruiting pool to get some really good players guys from the state of Georgia that maybe hadn't considered Georgia state before. And when this hire came around, I think that was what people were hoping for was that this would be the hire that could take the program to the next level instead of it just being the team that makes the tournament every other year and is really good in the Sun Belt. And that's the type, yeah, at the end of the day, that's what you start needing to do is land big recruits and start getting guys from this state to stay here. And so, you know, I'm still, like I say, want to look into him, the player, a little more and look forward to the months going on and uh, November coming around and talking about him again when he's officially a Panther. But just the the momentum and just what the signal of what this commitment is, it felt a reason enough to break our usual rule of not really digging too deeply into the recruiting stuff as it's happening. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to baseball. It was another weekend without a conference win as Georgia State was swept in the Sun Belt once more, this time on the road at Troy. The games went 10-1, and 4-3, and 3-2 and and in favor of the Trojans, and the Panthers dropped to below 500 in the belt at 10-11. and 11. A 13-7 slugfest win at Alabama State on Tuesday evening reset the mojo before dropping a home contest 9-7 to Middle Tennessee State on Wednesday. They sit at 25 and 21 overall this season and will host 15 and 26 Appalachian State for three games this upcoming weekend. So a little bit of a tumultuous activity for the bus slot boys these past few weeks. But uh, what do you think this upcoming uh, series against Appalachian State? What do you think about the bus slot boys? Well, uh, what I think is before yesterday at the time of this recording, this offense produced in reverse chronological order the following run outputs two runs in a loss three runs in a loss one run in a loss one run in a loss two runs in a loss three runs in a loss four runs in a loss six runs in a win eight runs in a loss one run in a loss two runs in a loss that dates all the way back to their just before their game against Georgia Tech um this offense has sort of stopped offensing. Um, And you know what? Yes, obviously there are a couple double digit pitching performances there. It's not great, obviously, Um, but you can't win if you can't score. So, you know, pitchers are having to, if you're expecting pitchers to just throw up zeros every single time and you, you know, for a team that was out here hitting the ball all around, hitting home runs earlier during the season, they're just not doing that anymore. Um, and it's been a problem. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's almost simplistic to just say you have to score runs because yes, that's, that is how baseball works, but 
Yeah, before this series, I did talk last week a lot about that pitching, maybe the top line pitching wasn't there, and that was something to look at. And, you know, this weekend, the pitching gave you everything you could ask for. You got games, you stayed in games, you were able to win. You led in both the games on Saturday and Sunday of the series against Troy. Uh, Friday was kind of a wash, got out of a hand early and just kind of spiraled. But you definitely could have won game you lost four, three or three, two, like a couple of different plays going a different way. Uh, there was a rain delay for, I think two hours, something like that in the, uh, in the game on, in the game on Sunday. Uh, so there was that factor of it as well. Don't know what those conditions were like to play in for pitchers or for hitters, but yeah, I, I, it's again both the case of you knew that you were playing good teams and that this was going to be kind of a gauntlet and that some of it is just that you ended up facing good teams that were playing well and that continued to be the case with Troy this past weekend but I I think it's easy to get discouraged and forget the highs of where you were a few weeks ago but I also think it is just as easy to forget that it's the first season that there's real, really been any kind of positive momentum for Georgia State baseball for a few years. And so the season still, there's still time to kind of get it right before the tournament in Montgomery. And even if things don't really get into any kind of better place, I still think that around 500, maybe a little below 500 in the Sun Belt, which has been a, you know, might send three or four teams to the regionals this year. It's still something, it's still more progress and you've got some guys that are probably going to be back. And we've seen that coach Stromdahl and his staff are able to recruit guys, even while they're recruiting to, you know, the bus lot and that that's not necessarily this really appealing destination uh, to play under the lights at, but we said it last time, kind of ran through the next couple of weeks and it starts with now you beat Alabama state. That was the first one. Uh, the middle Tennessee state game, I will admit kind of escaped my, I don't know if this got added late and I completely missed it. Or if I just had blinders the entire season when I was looking at the schedule, but I didn't know this game was happening. Uh, obviously tonight, as we record this podcast, they were able to get the runs going again, but it was the night where the pitching, but you know, okay. They scored seven runs and they weren't able to win the game, but that's still more runs than they scored combined in the last two games against Troy. And so you're going to have games where the pitching is not going to give it give you the three runs, the two runs, the four runs allowed. And so the, the bats are going to have to come through. It, you're going to have to win some games with the bats. And tonight they just couldn't get enough hits. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible at doing quick math here, but it looks like off a very quick glance that the 20 runs that they've scored in the last two days is more than they had on that entire seven game losing streak. Seven, nine, 10, 11, yeah, 15. So yeah, if the bats are back, great. That's awesome. You know, I, I have some faith that the pitching will keep them in games, you know, during that losing streak. It's not like the pitching was, you know, the absolute worst, but there, there's stuff, definitely some stuff to clean up, obviously. But, the, you know, the team kind of made their bread and butter on bats being, you know, like we were talking about a pretty potent lineup, a pretty nice, you know, scoring lineup that could just put up runs kind of at will. And, you know, the, there were times where the bats were bailing out, was bailing out the pitching, and that just hasn't been the case. 
you know, and I, I want to kind of go back to one point that you made about just this season and, you know, the inroads that they made, because I think, let's see, there are like two, three-ish, you know, depending on how you want to count the games, like weeks left, you know, three full series starting this Friday uh, with the App State series. And then, you know, they play Mercer, then they play Arkansas State and Texas State. Truthfully, they could lose all 10 of those games. They're not going to, most likely. Um, and I would still say that this season was a success. You know, you've, you've got a situation where there was definitely some improvements. You know, you definitely could see the foundation of a good baseball team here. You know, you play in a, a tough conference, you know, and stuff happens, obviously. You know, as as we record this podcast right now, you're 17 and six at home, eight and 14 on the road. You know, if, if you inch that road winning percentage to closer to 500, we're talking about a great team. You know, good teams win at home. Great teams either, you know, split their road series or do really well on the road. So, you know, I think there is definitely some hope here. You know, you're talking about like. The 2050, if you're you know looking for an equivalent in like the football team or whatever, you're talking about like a 2015 Panthers type deal where, you know, they kind of surprised a little bit, went on that run at the end of the year. And, you know, you're hoping and feeling some momentum going into next year. And another thing just on the way everything played out, like sometimes just the ball goes your way in some of these close games you get a hit where you need to and you win it. And that's kind of what happened in that coastal series where they got the sweep. They had to come back on that Saturday game that kind of came out of nowhere and really did a lot for the momentum of the team. And I guess my thought is also that there's no reason why this had to be a sweep against Troy and end of the other end. Like maybe some of the batted ball luck that you had in those games didn't go your way in this Troy series. And that, I think if you had looked at it and you'd won two of three, in Conway against Coastal that weekend. And if you had lost two of three this weekend, but were able to not get swept, each of those moments would feel different. But especially right now, it would maybe feel a little bit less just so everything is negative, 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 because it was all three losses and it's the third straight Sunbelt sweep that you've got. And so that's also part of it is just sometimes your luck comes for you in games and it doesn't come for you in other ones. And it just happened to line up to where the close games that Georgia State got across the line on were earlier and the close games they've played in Statesboro at home against Louisiana and then at Troy, all of them, all of the 50-50 games, so to say, have gone against you. And so it feels like everything's conspiring against Georgia State and it just nothing can go right. And, you know, I guess I'd say if the results were a little more mixed with wins and losses and you had traded some sweeps earlier in the year for just kind of two, three. I don't know that it would have, you know, obviously wouldn't be different on the record, but I think it would have felt different right now. And you just, because of how it's lined up, it just feels like blow after blow after blow. Uh, but I, I, you know, the good news is honestly, this is a team in app that's 11 games under 500. You're still going to have to go out there and grind. It's not like it's, Oh, here's three easy wins to chalk up, but it's easier to project going into this weekend that you could see when we talk about baseball on next pod, it'd be easy to say, yeah, look at looking back in, they won two or three or they swept and they, the offense came out in droves. Like it's easier to say that about this series than it would have been against Troy or against Louisiana or, or down in Statesboro against Georgia Southern. And so 
if you're looking to get back on track in conference and, you know, win a game, drop this uh, nine game losing streak in conference games, it is a good time for this home series and, you know, best of luck for them for able to do it. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to football. The NFL draft has come and gone with six Sunbelt players having their name called in Las Vegas. Sadly, however, none of those names are Georgia State alums, but there were four who signed with teams after the draft finished. They are guard Shamirius Gilmore signed with the Seattle Seahawks, joining former Panther wide receiver Penny Hart. Tight end Roger Carter signed with the world champion Los Angeles Rams as a fullback. Safety Chris Moore, originally from Ashburn, Virginia, heads not too far from home as he signed with the Baltimore Ravens. And finally, kicker Noel Ruiz looks to continue the Georgia State kicker pipeline when he heads to camp with the Houston Texans. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this draft and undrafted free agent cycle? Yeah, I mean, obviously, want to see more Georgia State draft picks come along. And I think... There's a few guys in the next couple of years that really feel like solid candidates to get their names called and top the sixth round where Bill O'Keefe and Robert Davis went when they were drafted and kind of set a new marker. I mean, I don't want to set too lofty of a projection of where guys are going to go, but I could see guys going in the higher mid rounds. Um, as time went on, it didn't seem that likely that anyone was going to get drafted this year. So I wouldn't say it was really a shock that no one from Georgia State got their name called in the seven rounds, but all the guys who landed, you know, Tremarius, Roger, Chris, and Noel, I was expecting to get picked up by someone. It, it seemed very likely. And you can't say uh, any other, you know, like it's a good landing spots for all of them. I would say. Especially that Carter landing. Like I, if there's one head coach in the national football league that is going to use a like undersized tight end who can catch, but like, and also block really well, but you know, probably doesn't have like the straight line speed to be, uh, you know, a full-time tight end. It's going to be Sean McVay. I, I really, really hope he breaks camp with them and they find packages to use him in some kind of creative way. Cause man, it's sometimes the things that McVay draws up. It, it's just this fun stuff. And I mean, the reality is, you know, the success rate of undrafted free agents making it out of like the first or the second, third cut during preseason time, let alone eventually making the 53-man roster in the NFL, it's not super. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of great success stories that have been able to do it. And we've had Georgia State players go there. You know, Albert Wilson didn't get drafted and he's stayed in the league for a while. Will Lutz obviously didn't get drafted. He's landed with the Saints and having a good career. So it's definitely doable. We've seen Georgia State people do it, but you know, even just the thing is, is putting in the work and being willing to go hard in practice might be enough to earn them spots on the practice squad. You know, practice squad players they get paid pretty good for you know what it is. I don't know the salary number off the top of my head, but I had it hurt. I had I wasn't aware of the salary that practice squad guys get, and it's like not bad for not being on the active roster and having to kind of wait around to get on the field as far as that goes. But I could definitely see, you know, that what coach Elliott's wanted to is still is that kind of attitude. And so I would hope that all those guys would give themselves, you know, I, I think you could project that they're all going to be the type that could hang around, at least on the practice squad, if they're putting in the work and, you know, Jordan mentioned it, but it's fun that Shamaris ended up with Penny up in Seattle. Like, and Seattle's in kind of a weird space, and I don't know if there's any spots open on the line, but I know 
it, it's not nearly as pressing for them now that they've traded Russ and they don't appear to really be going for it as much anymore, but they've had a need for offensive linemen to step up since basically Russ, Russell Wilson got drafted. Like it, it feels like the entire time Russell Wilson's been in NFL, it's been like, God, their O-line sucks. And so it's a position that if he can work hard, it, I guess it wouldn't surprise me entirely of the four of them if he were to find a way onto the active roster. If I had to pick a horse, uh, if I had to pick one of them to make it, just because, and also just the pedigree that he was able to achieve starting as long as he did at Georgia State. Yeah, I feel like that's a, bit, a good option. Um, I'm curious about Chris Moore. I feel like in the same way that Chandon has kind of established himself as a really nice nickel cornerback um, who just got a nice little payday from the Vikings. Uh, I feel like Chris Moore can kind of he's listed as a safety, obviously, but I feel like he was a decent defensive back with some good ball skills. So, I mean, that to me screams nickel corner. So, you know, and, or just, you know, extra safety, you know, guy who kind of establishes himself on special teams first, and then, you know, maybe an injury or something kind of gets him a look and he just kind of has that staying power. But, you know, I'm really interested to follow his career specifically because I really liked him at his time here at Georgia state. Yeah. Especially this past season really formed a nice tandem with Antavius lane and, not to mention, of the four of them, I think it's fair to say he landed in maybe the best organization to have landed in. I mean, I guess it's harder to say that when one of the other three, the Rams, just won a Super Bowl. But Ravens do a lot good. They probably had the best NFL draft of any team in the NFL this year. Uh, and uh, I guess the the other thing, it's, it's funny because Will has obviously had a lot of success in the NFL and kind of reached the heights more than maybe any other Georgia State player at his position. But like he didn't really have that prolific of a career at Georgia State kicking the ball. Like he put in the work and he always was available, but he got really misused, I think. He got underutilized by the staff that was here. And he's really been able to blossom in the NFL. And, you know, in saying that, Noel had a much better, you know, just at least by the numbers, just raw numbers career at Georgia State than Will did. And so I don't know what the kicking situation is in Houston, and I think he's invited to a camp, so I think that's maybe even a little bit more tenuous than being an undrafted free agent signee. But Will got into, again, the Ravens. He was in the Ravens camp behind probably, especially at the time and maybe still, the best kicker in the league in Justin Tucker, and he did enough to where he got a second audition with the Saints, and he's made that stick, and so... It's just funny looking back, you know, he's obviously been great in the NFL, but, you know, Noel has the resume from what he did at Georgia State in a way that maybe no other kicker has had just with the output that he was able to do these last two seasons. All right. Last up this week, of course, a question Mike and Marietta asks, what's the best food to eat on Cinco de Mayo? And I'm going to start off. It's got to be tacos. I'm all about tacos. But um, yeah, what you guys got? My vote is queso. And the reason I don't want to say tacos is because I feel like when I think of just quintessential 
American Mexican food. I just I got a margarita and I've just got some queso. Like it's just very low key, just very snackable, you know, like I feel like I can have tacos of any type at any point in time, you know, and I, I mean, I put a lot of things in. I mean, I don't make queso myself, but, you know, I'll go to get a queso that has meat in it. And I'll go get a queso that has some salt, some uh, pico tomatoes and cilantro in it. So but I just I feel like queso or like nachos or something like that just is just that to me is just what i look and reach for when i think of like mexican food and especially on like cinco de mayo well i feel like i need someone needs to represent just the demographic we are in you know late 20s early 30s and i mean like let's be honest here like i don't go out there drinking just on days on end and i've never really been a cinco de drinko guy but like you got to just mention just the margarita part of it and just kind of lean into that as far as Cinco goes. I mean, obviously, that's what like Americans and especially young Americans have just kind of taken over as it's an excuse to drink. But it, that's honestly, you know, when someone asked me about Cinco, I mean, it's not that far. I'm not that far moved from college where it's like that's just the overriding thought. Like, I don't think about Mexican food on Cinco de Mayo. I just think about kids drinking in college. <laughs> See, here's the thing about uh, going back to queso real quick. Like, not a lot of places have really great queso. Like, outside of, like, really authentic stuff, a lot of it's just really watery or just, like, not good. I don't, I don't know. Like, if you guys are going to some places that have, like, really, really good queso, like, you gotta let me know. But we went to some tacos. So, pulling the curtain back, I was up in Chicago with David uh, a couple weeks ago for my birthday weekend, and we went to a place in Chicago, and it was an odd case. It was a case I've never really had before. It was more like congealed and it wasn't like a, like not a sauce consistency. It was more like melted cheese. And so like to your kind of your point, like it tasted fine, but it didn't really feel like queso and like it is hit and miss. Like you can order a queso and immediately be like, I don't know why I spent, like I would have just had some chips and salsa with this. I don't, I didn't need to spend the extra $5 on this queso or whatever it would have been. So I'm not going to rant because I have ranted about the Chicago quesos scene specifically to people. Um, but part of my answer, part of why I answered quesos specifically is because since moving here to Chicago, um, I have realized that one, the South has the queso market cornered. Um, they do like cheese up here. Obviously, Wisconsin's very close and, you know, Chicago does like cheese. But in terms of like Mexican food, they really don't do queso. Um and like, you know, I know Taco Max queso is, you know, it's good. Like it's it's not the best queso I've ever eaten, but it is good. Um but what I wanted to say, it kind of to Brady's point, is I appreciate good queso when I go back to Georgia now so much more than when I lived there, simply because finding good queso in Chicago is pretty difficult. You know, like most places, like you got to know what a place is serving and you got to get a tip from somebody who knows what good queso is. Because, like, while I enjoyed the queso, like Brady said, it's the consistency is not the same. Like, I want something like, gooey liquidy you know it's got to be like Velveeta but actually good you know what I mean and there are a lot of places here that serve fake queso like pretend queso that are not just hitting like that so I mean let's just keep the cultural appropriation going I mean what is your best Atlanta Tex-Mex or Mexican spot you know whatever you want to go with 
I'm putting people on the spot here. This is just adding on to Mike's question. You totally are. Um, I can't even think of the the place off the top of my head, but I want to say I went to some random bar in Marietta with Sid, our friend of the pod, Sid. And we, it was like a place with wings. I'll have to get the name for it and I'll remember to bring it up on the podcast next time there's a food question. But it was just like, it was kind of like the taco mac carne asada. No, that's not it. The uh, queso con queso carne. Con carne. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. It was just like the cheese was just really flavorful, like melted really good. The meat wasn't like super oily and it was just really good. Um, and, you know, they, they just gave us an absolute crap ton of flour tortillas with the chips. Got It was it. just almost perfect. Now, you're going to get mad at me because I don't think I've been to a sit down Mexican joint in probably close to five years. Well, the, the past two are like kind of obvious because, you know, the whole pandemic thing. <laughs> well, why weren't you sitting in restaurants the last three years? Gee, man, I don't know. You, you, if you're playing along at home, you can probably figure that out. But uh, I don't know. Like, I just I just don't go out that much. For me, it's like you just got to, like, make your own stuff, man. Like grill up some really like quality meat some quality steak or some like chorizo sausage or something and like get some uh, we used to grow uh, this is going to be super super tangent i'll try to keep it short but we have every year we grow like peppers and stuff on the back deck we get like jalapenos and bell peppers and all that other kind of stuff and we'd pull them right off the plant and then you dice them up and then you roast them or you fry them up in a pan and put it it's just so good like why would you go pay a ton of money somewhere else to have somebody else make food for you when you can go to Home Depot, buy $100 worth of dirt, a bunch of plants, wait four months, and then pick it off the plant and cook it yourself. Just saying. I mean, because there's probably an open bar wherever you're sitting down and having ordering the food instead of planting yeah. and gardening and yada, yada, yada. If, if that's your thing, I'm not, a, I'm not a big drinker, but if that's your thing, more power to you. Whatever you, uh, you want to enjoy your cultural appropriation mexican food more power to you <laughs> no all kidding aside though uh lots and lots of uh good good mexican yeah. food to be had front i don't know how much of a chain frontera is but frontera frontera was huge in gwinnett county which is where i went to school there were a ton of them it felt like there was one in, like every school district but that was the big one when i was growing up but the other one i found more recently which also there's one in lawrenceville that i used to go to a fair mountain is los hermanos which i'd vouch for I feel like we don't do enough in our stewardship of just kind of talking about Atlanta and Atlanta places. And so in the spirit of that, I feel like maybe now every time there's an excuse to go onto a tangent about just like random Atlanta restaurant stuff, I'm going to take that off ramp. So be I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk about Atlanta barbecue, like I got you, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm still, I, I walk up to strangers and I tell them about Atlanta. Like I have In like, Chicago? you know, like, yes, jo yes, Jordan. Like when people are like, oh, you're from Atlanta, like you lived in Atlanta for a while. I was like, how's the barbecue? And I'm like, okay, are you looking for like really good quality barbecue that's expensive, but like you'll get your money's worth? Are you looking for pricey, but like, you know, you could avoid like, like, where's your bar? You want like really cheap, but like still good. Like there's, there is Atlanta barbecue that meets all types of people, all types of flavors, all types of price points like i got you is this the year we uh we finally do thursday night food tours yeah i feel like we have already teed up a barbecue question in the immediate future oh you know i it's feel coming. like that's coming next week immediately <laughs> gonna be dropping in and so david's gonna get to go off on that tangent in, in earnest 
I'm so excited. Name names and such. All right. So thanks as always to Mike for the question. Now let's close out this week's episode with some sports bits. Softball travels to Statesboro to face Georgia Southern this weekend with games Thursday at 6, Friday at 6, and Saturday at 1 p.m. All three games will be on ESPN+. And then they'll travel to Mobile, Alabama for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament beginning on Tuesday. Men's tennis faces Florida State in the first round of the NCAA Tournament in Athens at 11 a.m. on Friday. Beach Volleyball had a great week, defeating Grand Canyon to win in the opening round of their NCAA tournament appearance. The Sandy Panthers next take on number 2 TCU in the second round of the tournament in Gulf Shores, Alabama at noon on Friday. That match will be on ESPN2. And finally, baseball hosts Appalachian State at the GSU Baseball Complex for a three-game series Friday at 6, Saturday at 4, and Sunday at 1 before welcoming the Mercer Bears to the bus slot Tuesday at 4 p.m. But that is all we've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in next week's episode where we can hopefully discuss a lot more good Georgia State athletics news. See ya.